and welcome to Sparks 538's podcast about science and the big ideas in science that occur to us after we read a thing or two about a certain topic. I'm Chadwick Matlin, an editor at 538, and with me in the studio is the 538 science team, a large portion of the 538 science team, Christy Ashwanden, science writer. Hi, Christy. Hello, Chad. And I'm Barry Jester. Hi, Anna. Hello. And Maggie Kurth-Baker. Hi, Maggie. Hello. Science writers all and one. Today, folks, we are here to talk about Thanksgiving, but namely the food at Thanksgiving. We're going to talk about J. Kenji Lopez-Alt's The Food Lab, Better Home Cooking Through Science. So we're going to talk about what happens when you bring science into the kitchen. Kenji Lopez-Alt does sort of experiments where he tries to find the best technique for various different foods, and then he gives recipes that are based off those foods, some of which we have tried including all together last night. So I think, what do you think? Should we start with our little food experiment last night in my yeah, kitchen? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so, sure. so let's roll the tape of, of me introducing our steak trial. We have four steaks, one of which is salted, peppered, and ceviche. Two of which are pre-salted, sitting for 40 minutes, as Kenji suggests. And one which is not, which is our, our experiment, I suppose. Two of the steaks, one salted, one unsalted, are going to be pan-fried, and one of which is going to be broiled in a grill pan where the juices can drip. So one sous vide, one broil, two pan-fried, two pan-fried, one salted, one's not. We have to remember how to keep track of all these, (laughs) which we're not going to do. (laughs) So just, yeah, exactly. So let's all... Say, yeah. Keep drinking. And then, oh, and then the vegetables. What do we decide? We're we're roasting, roasting half steam. of them and steaming half of them. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. And then we're going to measure that. the nutritional content. And what are yes. the vegetables? <laughs> the vegetables are purple carrots, some fancy turnips that I don't remember the name of, and broccoli. The okay. end. Where did these vegetables come from? Jen? Within 500 miles, as the cop demands. <laughs> 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 That's the real secret. As the co-op <laughs> Yeah. So it shall be. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Was that where somebody got horribly burned? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so Chrissy, for those who didn't quite catch it, do you want to just run through what our, what our steaks were one more time? Yeah, sure. So two of them were pan-fried. One of the pan-fried ones was salted 40 minutes ahead of time. The other was salted just right before we pan-fried it. Another was broiled. And then the fourth one was sous vide. And Chad, you should explain what that is. You're the one with the fancy machine. Sure. It was a gift. I did not buy it for myself. Thank you. Uh, a sous vide is just a warm water bath in which uh, there's a little... Sounds like a spa. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of was. Uh, in, which, spa. in which you put the thing you're sous vide in a plastic bag. You vacuum seal that bag without any air in it. You immerse it in the, in the water bath. And then there's a little... Uh, a little coil and motor that that circulates the water to keep the water running, and the, and the idea is that the heat surrounds the thing that you're cooking, as opposed to comes from one direction and comes from the outside down, and you have to wait for it to get to the center. And you also get to choose the temperature so you can control how well done the meat is, right? Right. And so in this instance, we tried to make all the steaks medium rare. But Anna and Maggie, how'd that turn out? <laughs> well, um, so in my in my notes, the broiled steak was definitely more well done mm-hmm. than medium rare. Yeah. Though it seemed like 
I'd the say it's a solid medium. Were, the <laughs> yeah, other three all... were fairly close to each other, but looked totally different. Yeah. Well, and we had this fantastic thermometer, so we were able to get pretty close, right. I would say, to medium rare for the two right. pan fried. But and you had like the, it was, it was interesting when we cut them open, that like the sous vide one almost looked like, what is that, that tuna where you, like it was so red. It was a ruby, like, like ruby beautiful. garnet all the way through in a way that the others were not. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, that maybe that's a good place to start. I mean, so we looked at them and decided which one we would want to eat based on looks alone. And it was almost exactly the opposite of what we liked based on flavor, which I thought was really fascinating. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And so we should say the the look of them, almost instinctually we thought, where's the prettiest char? Where are there pools of... Of liquid Goo. grease, liquid, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, <laughs> and of those, the broiled looked the worst, right? It right. just it's looked like, like a gray. Pa- yeah, a pale yeah. The, the gray. color was a little. Oh god, uh, it was horrible. It looked yeah. dog food. And it didn't have any. Yeah, it didn't have any char on it or any sort of variation in color. I mean, all those things yeah. that kind of attract you to right. it. It was missing yeah. all. Whereas, what was it, Maggie? It the, was the the no salt pan fried. That was great. Beautiful. Was oh, it I mean, like so nice crispy and brown and mm-hmm. luscious and like you just wanted to stick it in your and mouth. And then when we did stick it in our mouths. Hmm. That was like number three, right? <laughs> in our taste test? Yeah, it or was. Four. Or four. Yeah, actually. Yeah. Four. Yeah. Yeah. And so there was a little bit of mixed. We, we all discovered that salt... Salt. Salt is a beautiful thing. Right. Salted pan fried definitely yeah. one yeah. of her flavor. You, you well, and let's be clear, salted where we left it in salt for 40 right. minutes. That right. was yeah. And so Jake Kanji-Lobazal discusses the rules of steak in, in his book. And this book, we should say, is like heavier than any book, <laughs> even any cookbook. It weighs I've about held. 50 pounds. It's 940 <laughs> plus pages. It is just a behemoth. It's a monolith of science in the kitchen. Beautiful photos. Beautiful photos. Really conversational tone Mm -hmm. about how he arrived at recipes. Uh, And so there's a lot of preamble to a lot of the recipes about how he did all the testing. And as we were uh, doing experiments ourselves last night, I thought about how much food it takes to do a regular cookbook, let alone a cookbook where you're also trying to perfect all the technique that it takes to get to the recipe eventually. Well, and that was one of the things that was so interesting to me. Like, obviously, all our meats came out cooked uh, to a different degree. And to me, that's part of it, right? Like, if you're cooking in the kitchen, it's really hard to put it in the broiler and get exactly the finish you want on it. But that's that's part of it, right? Like, that's how you cook. That's how you're actually going to eat it. But I'm sure he wanted to get something that was, like, actually medium rare that you could compare between different techniques that and I, yeah that can't imagine how much time goes into that right and right. interestingly you know the science as, as he did it did suggest that if you salt it at least 45 minutes ahead of time that the salts move into the meat in a different way than if you salt it right beforehand and he made the point that if you're caught in the middle where you only have 20 minutes but to prepare don't even bother just do it right beforehand because the salts won't get far enough in and, and, and actually defeats the purpose so it was a fun experiment i would say we found that we like steak with salt on them. <laughs> we also found that we didn't like sous vide as much as we thought we were going to. Yeah. Right. The betting line coming in was that sous vide would make a perfect piece of steak, uh, but it actually, the texture of it was not to our satisfaction. As the person who pulled it out of the sous vide pan, I was immediately slightly concerned because it was so squishy. <laughs> it, felt like, it felt like I was picking up like a lump of raw liver. But it was cooked. I mean, it was done. It had a texture problem, though. Like, yeah. it just, it really, and I think some of it was just sort of the mouthfeel and the texture. Like, you know, I, I don't know. And but is this, it a problem or is it a 
question of expectations, right? Well, like it was so different than what you make when you do a steak in the pan, which is how most of us do and it. And that's where the science so, I don't yeah, think necessarily yeah. can account for is yeah. that our expectations for steak, let's say, may counter <laughs> what the perfectly cooked steak is according to science. Right. Maybe we're wrong important. is what yeah. we're saying. Right. No, we're all right. Yeah. I, <laughs> that's I what we're saying. I think we're absolutely right. I sort of take issue with, with that yeah. idea. Like, I, I don't think that yeah. science, I mean, in the kitchen, science should be there serving our own tastes, right? So like science is not going to dictate what the perfect steak is. It might help you um, cook the perfect mm-hmm. steak, How? which my definition of the perfect steak is how I like it. Salty is right, the answer. Right. Actual quote from Christy last night. Oh, my God, the salt is so good. <laughs> my notes say she was still making affirmative noises 30 seconds later. <laughs> hey, everyone. Jody here. We'll get back to the conversation and the food in a minute. But first, a word from this week's sponsors. What's the Point is brought to you by The Black Tux. Do you have a wedding or special event coming up and need a tux now? Well, don't panic. The Black Tux designs modern fit suits and tuxedo rentals that deliver right to your door. And now The Black Tux will give you a free home try-on so you can see the fit and feel the quality of their suits well before your event. And the best part is that you can arrange it all online. Head to theblacktux.com to create your look or choose a complete outfit package. Prices start at just $95. Your outfit will arrive 14 days before your event, which leaves plenty of time to try it on and make any tweaks you need to. And when your event's over, just drop your rental back in the box. Shipping is always free, both ways from delivery to return. Visit theblacktux.com slash point and experience the new way to rent. That's theblacktux.com slash point. This week's show is also brought to you by Blue Apron. Not all ingredients are created equal. Fresh, high-quality ingredients make a real difference, so it's important to know where your food comes from. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals all with the best produce and meat available. And it's easy. Each meal comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card and pre-portioned ingredients that can be made in 40 minutes or less. Choose the delivery options that fit your needs. There's no weekly commitment and you only get deliveries when you want them. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash point. That's blueapron.com slash point. Okay, back to the show. Here is Chad. Um, so let's, I think, move on from our little entry in, into the book in, the, in that dinner party and talk about a couple other recipes that are in here that I think several of us have tried and just also about the way science can affect our, our cooking overall. It's Thanksgiving coming up. And mm-hmm. so I think we should talk about spatchcocking. <laughs> spatchcocking changed my life. Christy, <laughs> tell us why. Tell us more, oh, God, Christy. It's never going to be not funny. I know. <laughs> well, so the backstory is I raise heritage uh, turkeys on my farm. And so turkeys are kind of a big deal around my house. And I like to cook a Thanksgiving turkey and other turkeys throughout the year. And anyway, um, you know, it's challenging to get all of the meat cooked evenly to make sure that you get it to the right temperature, that the breasts don't dry out, et cetera. And spatchcocking basically eliminates all of these problems. Mm. Um, so describe what it is. So what it is is you take the bird, the raw bird, and you basically crack its chest, mm-hmm. its, its uh, spine, and cut out the spine and lay it down flat. So it's a way of sort of – it's almost like flat turkey <laughs> – and when you lay it flat, the, the limbs splay out. 
this splay out. So it's basically like uh, your turkey is making a Superman sort of motion. Yeah, it's flying through the air. It's flying through the it's air. One flat on your fly. pan. <laughs> the glorious turkey. The glorious. And it's amazing. What ends up happening is it creates sort of a more even surface of the bird. So instead of having this internal big cavity in the middle where things aren't cooking as rapidly, you've sort of flattened it all out into one sort of long long piece of, of meat. And so it cooks so much more evenly and you don't have this problem of drying out certain parts and then not being cooked enough in other parts. And part of what I love about it, so in the book, it describes multiple ways to cook turkeys. And mm-hmm. there there are lots of ways you can cook them, but it's spatchcocking is fairly easy and it's not, it's not labor intensive. You don't have to be involved throughout the process. It's like cooking other things where you kind of prepare it, stick it in the oven, and then it's done and it's perfect. And it's pretty fast too. That's what's amazing too. I know the first time I did it, I sort of made the turkey. I was like, oh, it's already done like oh it's no brining yeah. no right no, yeah. Yeah. yeah i was gonna say yeah. like you don't have to like set up the brine yeah. the day beforehand and like remember all of which can be great fun but around yeah. thanksgiving you're usually having friends and family over and you have all these other things going yeah. on and yeah. adding these elements of like multi-day cooking is really yeah. right so it cooks faster because it's all in the same plane essentially That's right. because otherwise mm-hmm. there's so much vertical space and cavities and, and the heat has to get into a bunch of different places and jay kenji lopez alt the author of the food lab makes the point that uh, the breast reaches 150 degrees just as the legs reach 170 degrees. And so because it's at the same level, you're getting the, the different pieces at the right temperature the white meat at the right meat. moment. Yeah. Whereas before, you had to dry out one thing or undercook one thing in order to get the, the part of the bird you know, to, to the place that you wanted to get it to. And so, listeners, if you're interested in trying spatchcocking, you can actually, without buying the book, find J. Kenji Lopez-Alt's technique on serious eats which is a, a food website and uh, we'll put a link to, on, on our show page yeah, on you notably too. repost the same thing every year because the best technique doesn't change right. that's right <laughs> yeah. um, i used it last year with a dry brine which is oh. salt under the skin along i use i think baking powder with i did it that as well. last year as well i was Why? really skeptical and it was great. It was yeah. super easy. It worked just as well as a wet Why brine. baking powder? Um, I'm, I think it seals the layer of liquid. So the salt brings the liquid out. And I think baking powder, if I remember correctly, seals the layer of that extra liquid that's sitting on top of the skin. Because the idea is you want to draw it out. And then you want it to sort of be on top and, and work its way back in. And I think it, it helps seal it. Cool. Um, essentially. So, yeah. So I, I highly recommend it. So, highly recommend Okay. It. Spatchcocking changed... Your life, Christy. It did. Anna or Maggie, has anything in here changed your life? Yeah, chocolate chip cookies. Tell us why. <laughs> you, you, uh, there's a whole long explanation that we don't have to get into, but um, basically he has a couple of recommendations for things to do that will uh, change the texture of the cookies. And so one of them is leaving the dough in the refrigerator overnight. Uh, the other is browning the butter. And it really is one of those things that it's just that that incremental difference that takes you from a cookie that obviously chocolate chip cookies like they're very hard to mess up they're very hard to be mm-hmm. bad but they're it is not that easy to make them wonderful right and so i really loved understanding why that was going on because i've put things in the fridge before just because i didn't have time to bake them right away and it does really make a massive difference although i will say that every single time i've made that recipe it's been completely different and I don't know <laughs> yeah, why even though I am following the science too. I, I was thinking a little bit last yeah. night I think we were joking about this about replication and cooking yeah. Yeah. Like, and isn't this sort of true like you think you're doing the same thing and mm-hmm. it never turns out mm-hmm. quite the same and I'm the kind of cook who kind of uses a recipe as guidelines and I'm, I'm really bad at being exact with the recipe so maybe it's 
user error, but... Although that's what's kind of interesting. Like the book is supposed to, in a way, give you the tools to understand the science so that you can make the same thing you want over and over again. But with certain foods, I just have not been able to to do that at all. I know eggs have been a problem for me. You've mentioned that as well. Yeah, I've been experimenting. Um, Because I raise chickens, I have a lot of eggs. And so I'm always looking for new ways to eat them. And I love poached eggs. I've never been good at making them. I've experimented with Kenji's recipe and... Not had a lot of luck with it, frankly. Oh, really? Um, Yeah, so basically you sort of crack the egg, put it into water, and then you sort of use a sieve or something to collect it sort of together and to keep it together, and you're sort of stirring it in the boiling water, and it just, it's challenging. (laughs) Do you think that's partly, though, because that's about a technique and not about understanding the science, which are very different things? Absolutely. It's about finesse, and maybe I don't have finesse. I don't know. Um, Because, you know, I've watched the video as well as, you know, read it out of the cookbook here. And, uh, you know, my my attempts were not complete failures, but it was sort of that thing where, you know, you have the recipe and it's supposed to look really pretty and it's like, eh, that's not how it really turned out. Yeah, we failed. We failed at the poaching also. Like, uh, and it was interesting because we, right before we got this book, we had brunch with some British friends who were telling us like, oh, you can just go and poach eggs at home all the time. It's super easy. And so I got the book and I saw... Like how to do that, and I'm like, yes, okay. So it does. It is super easy, and it was it was not. But they swore that like the keeping everything together just just happened, and maybe it is just like a practice thing, and you have to you got to get like so your. So I've wondered a little bit. Hundred hours of. I live at altitude, and I wonder if there's some some factor there. I live at almost seven thousand feet, and is it you know that the temperature of the water boiling is different? I mean, it may be its own kind of science effect when you're cooking. So I want to talk in more generally about the role that science plays in the way we cook, and should it play a role in the way we cook? I think, Christy, you said you use recipes more as as a guide than than actually sort of sticking right to it, and in some ways, especially in baking, for example. You know, those are scientific principles at play because it's about ratios and it's about the chemistry of, of how something's going to to mix under heat. But especially when it comes to cooking, where there is more innovation, I wondered if you guys found that being told what the best way was affected your ability to still be creative with what you were cooking. Because in my mind, which is maybe sort of my own weakness, I'm like, oh, there's a best way to do something. I better do it that way or else whatever I'm going to cook isn't going to be good. But I think that's probably a a fallacy that I'm falling for. So I feel pretty confidently that there's no best way, that the best way is what I is what I like. But so for me, understanding the science frees me from the tyranny of the recipe because I am mm. I'm a kind of a nervous cook. Like I love food so much, and especially if I'm cooking for other people, I get really insecure about messing it up, right? But so if I if I kind of understand what's going on, it helps me like relax and just it's get like into con- it. Not a control thing, but just like it's it's like a, having more knowledge of what yeah. you're go- uh, going about doing. That's interesting. Exactly. Yeah, I, I agree with what Anna just said. But I'd also say that there are sort of things that like, this is the absolute best way, but it's also going to take 20 more minutes. And like, yeah. for me, it's sort of incremental. So at some point too, there's sort of like, what is the the optimal way to get me the thing that I like to eat in sort of the way that's the least hassle? So like, maybe it's like 10% less yummy, but it's still like 99% yummy. So if I, if I remember correctly, I think the Series Eats website has like three different recipes for beef stroganoff that are all optimized to like different ratios of what you're looking for. And I have the fast one because I have <laughs> a three-year-old and a 15-month-old who demand sustenance. So I think 
that brings us to where it can go wrong, given what we're talking about. Um, and so, uh, Maggie, you wanted to talk about a green bean casserole, and then we also want to talk yeah. about mac and cheese, both of which can be Thanksgiving side dishes. But we may not recommend that you make them out of this book. So I, I, you know, grew up on the green bean casserole, obviously, as everyone did. The green bean casserole that involves, like, dumping cans into a dish and, like, sticking it in the oven. It's a very Midwestern thing. It's (laughs) super Midwestern. And it's super, like, it's, you know, I'd hate to say soul food because it doesn't seem like it has that much soul. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's, it's, it's important food. And I saw the recipe for that in there, and it was so fancy, and it's like fresh green beans, and you're frying your own onions, and it's, it seemed like, oh, it's going to like elevate it to this next level, and it's going to be like so much better than green bean casserole ever was. And then I made it, and my husband's like, what is this? <laughs> it is wrong. It is functionally it, wrong. Did he not like it, or it was wrong? Like, do you know what I'm saying? It was respect to expectations, right? It was wrong. Like, his little tail fluffed out, and he got, like, just spitty kitty about it being, like, the wrong thing. Right. It was not green bean casserole. I like that you picture your husband as a cat. Yeah. <laughs> That's a deep insight yeah, into right. your, your marital bond. <laughs> Maggie is married to a cat. <laughs> but yeah, it sounds like the, I mean, the expectations are more important than and the memory, right? Right. And the yeah. emotional attachment are probably more important. Totally. Than the I mean, it, like, I guess I didn't realize how much green bean casserole was his Proustian Madeline until <laughs> I tried to change it, and then I realized that like it just kind of broke his heart a little and he was like please please just make the canned stuff for thanksgiving which right. has its own science right the, yeah you know, right. all cooking is science in a way and so there's some science of the way that the cream of mushroom soup blends with the green beans and but i'm I think sure it's, there I think is. it's kind of important to, to note here though that i mean we're talking about a, a holiday meal which has right. all of these cultural elements and it's not just the expectations yep. but it's like a particular celebration with traditions and things like Extreme that and emotional attachment to you know traditions exactly yeah and i think that there are some things on the thanksgiving table that you maybe eat once or eat or prepare once a year right like yep. you know maggie do you cook that that green bean salad any other time of year Oh, God, no. And I have a friend who cannot have Thanksgiving dinner without the gelatinized canned cranberries. Yes. It needs to, this is the best part. Yes. It needs to be served straight out of the can, so it has the can shape mm-hmm. and sliced. And, and, and sliced. Yeah, yeah, and it, it. It's not Thanksgiving dinner without that. So yep. let's talk about macaroni and cheese real quick, because three of the four of us made it separately, or two of you made it together, and, and I made it separately. We should say that the, the recipe states that the science he was trying to replicate was the gooiness of the the craft mac and cheese of, of the sort of old school original mac and cheese, and this is a I don't know if it's the mac and cheese that you pour the powdered in or no if it's, I think if it's, it's more the, like Velveeta, yeah. right? So this is not like the quick and dirty one, but the sort of more cheese strands and dripping cheese and that kind of thing. I call them gobs. Gobs, gobs yes, gobs of cheese. Gobs of cheese. That's right. Um, three of us made it. I have my thoughts. Do you guys want to describe yours first? Well, we should say that so. Burritos are obviously official food of 538, but cheese is the unofficial food of 538. <laughs> well, and so we're all very excited about Cheese is an cheese. official 538 food group. Yeah. We'll just put that on the table. Yeah, it's like I, an I incredibly important to all of us, right? And so we were all very excited about mac and cheese specifically, which is something that's part of my Thanksgiving tradition. So yeah, so Christy came over and we were, got really excited. We woke up Sunday morning. We got all our ingredients. And let me describe the ingredients real quick just so yeah. listeners can know. Oh, yeah, you need one pound of elbow macaroni, kosher salt, one 12-ounce can of evaporated milk, two large eggs, uh, a little hot sauce, one teaspoon of ground mustard. This is all for the sauce. 
one pound of extra sharp cheddar Jesus. cheese grated eight ounces therefore half a pound of American cheese cut into half inch cubes, some cornstarch for the sauce, and then eight tablespoons, one stick of unsalted butter cut into four chunks. So just to go back over the dairy involved. <laughs> How are you all still alive? Twelve ounces we of evaporated milk. We'll get to that milk, in a moment. <laughs> Twelve ounces of milk, a pound and a half of cheese, and a stick of butter. Did you feel all those things when you tasted it? Let's just say I took the first nap I've taken since I was four years old <laughs> immediately after eating this. I, I'm a pretty big eater, and this is the first time I've ever had – and it was a pretty modest bowl of yeah. mac and cheese that I could not finish. Like, I really could not finish. And, in fact, I felt sick the rest of the day. I couldn't – this this was at it was what, 11 so a.m. in the morning. Rich. I couldn't have another bite the rest of the day. I was sick. Was so so I felt the same. I put some sausage and, and some vegetable in it. And <laughs> The vegetable made it feel healthy. Um, but so, what does this tell us about where science can take us in the wrong direction when it comes to, to cooking? Or is this just a one-off? And there are so many bad recipes everywhere, and it's unfair to pin this on science. I, I actually had a thought: like, is there a typo in the recipe? Like, did we really need like all of the, like the? Mine we, looked like what was in here. Yeah. So it looked beautiful. I mean, we took photos. Maybe we want to put those on the, yeah, the page. It looked very beautiful. I was stirring the macaroni, putting in the the butter, and it was just like, wow, this is a lot of butter. Like, it already seemed really buttery. And, oh, I have another stick to still add. Like, it really just felt very excessive. (laughs) Yeah, and we learned something, right? Like, it talks through how cheese melts and why you can't just throw some cheese in there with the noodles and have macaroni and cheese, which, you know, it sort of seems like you should be able to, but that's not how cheese melts. And so putting all these other ingredients gives you the right liquid and, you know, all these things that, that let you have this creamy, gooey cheese sauce, which you can't reheat the next day, which is interesting in itself. But the thing that was frustrating for me with this is that it was so rich. Like, I clearly couldn't make this again. I would need to change the recipe. But I wasn't sure how to change it because those ratios were so important to how the cheese melted. Because of the cornstarch bonding, all the lipids and whatever else. Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that's interesting. So, yeah, for, for me, it was it was a moment of seeing that quote unquote science can be just as fallible as anything else in a way. Like just because something might be the perfect melty cheese doesn't make it the best. And for some reason I have this, this book kept making me think of what was best when it came to cooking, because I think especially within the 538 scene, we often sort of talk about whether data leads to the best thing. And I think in some ways, does and in other ways we've seen all the biases that that can be well, it comes with priors yeah, yeah yeah so it's like yeah. well i think that's kind of back to the sous vide thing too right like the sous vide thing is the data cooking right, right. it's a it's a perfect right. optimized perfect optimized thing and what we ended up liking the best was the overdone steak under the broiler mm-hmm. you know like i mean right. it, it it was that was really interesting to me mm-hmm. and it was also interesting to me like how much what we liked was determined by the salt which is kind of one of those things where, like, what is right? Like, is it is it just that we like salt or did we actually like this meat? I don't know that I can properly answer that because the one that wasn't as salty wasn't as good. <laughs> we should know, too, nutritional values were not taken into account during any of the stuff that we're discussing. Well, and we, we don't were... know anything about nutrition anyways. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, um, you can't trust what you read in nutrition studies. <laughs> all right. So let's, let's leave our discussion of the book there. Maggie, would you recommend that someone pick it up, buy it? It's an expensive book. I think it's 50 bucks. 
as we said, it's very heavy, but it's it's sort of like a not a bible, but like it's it's a it's a, it will be a, a bulwark of your cookbook section. So I'm wondering if you yeah. think it, it should it should be for someone. So I think that it would be a really fun book for somebody who has the time to cook as an experiment. That like if you can go through this and just like do each recipe in one after the other and like try all these different things out awesome. It has not worked super well for me because of, again, the these two small children situation and my husband and I... If you really I, cared about cooking and science, yeah, you wouldn't have right. kids, Maggie. You're right. <laughs> it's, it, that's actually true. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but so, like, my husband and I have not gotten to play around with it as much as we would have gotten to, like, four or five years ago. Anna, what do you think? I absolutely would. I mean, I, I've learned a lot from it about how what's happening with various cooking techniques and that kind of thing but i also i have a habit of if i'm making something when i can remember i try to pull out a few of these sort of referency type cookbooks see what everyone's saying about it and then kind of come to my own conclusions about what i like to eat best but understanding sort of how it's working is really important to me Christy? Yeah, I would just echo what Anna just said. I feel the same. And one thing I really like about this this cookbook, it has great photos, but I also like sort of the way it's organized. There's a whole section on greens and on vegetables, kind of laying out the best ways to cook them. Including and charts about, charts. you know, a chart that yeah. just shows so blanched there, steamed yeah. There's some really nice here. charts if you just want a quick and dirty, like, how should I do this? And, then, and so there are some nice narrative explanations, but then there are also recipes. So if you just want to find a recipe, you can do that too. So you don't, it's sort of laid out in a nice way so that you can choose between just, just following the recipe or reading up on all these things. So you don't have to always read, you know, a thousand words of explanation before you make something. Yeah, that's right, Christy. And I also really like with the charts, like that's like, okay, maybe I should pair these vegetables together that Mm -hmm. I haven't paired before, but they both cook well in the same technique. So let's try it out. So I think there's cabbage and broccoli are not usually part of my same roasting pan. Yeah. So I'm somebody who follows recipes for the most part, but I like that you can, Mm -hmm. you can learn enough to kind of create your own recipes. Yeah, I, I th- I'm with you folks, which is that it can be an empowering kind of cookbook in a way. And it reminded me a little bit of this book called Ratio by Michael Ruhlman, which is another one of these books that are sort of like teach you the underlying mechanics of cooking. Um, in this case, the ratio between a fat, a flour, and something else in, in a biscuit, let's say. Um, and so you can sort of build off of that. And this felt like if you're reading it the right way, beyond just the recipes, you, you can you can do the building. As well. Okay, so we know now how we're going to make our Thanksgiving turkeys, what sides we are not going to make, at least out of this recipe book, <laughs> next to those turkeys. Uh, Anna, you're going to talk to J. Kenji Lopez Alt in this feed uh, in the coming days. And so, listeners, keep an eye out for that. What, what are you going to ask him? What's on your mind? What do you think? You going to ask him about the mac and cheese? I am going to ask about the Good. mac and cheese. <laughs> Hold the powerful also, accountable. Yeah. <laughs> That's some good journalism there. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, yeah, so listeners, keep an, uh, an ear out for that. Uh, I think I think that'll do it. Thanks, Christy. Thanks so much. Anna, thanks for chatting food. Thanks, Chad. Maggie. Thank you. Thanks for letting us know that you think of your husband as a cat. <laughs> Big development today. This is going to be awkward when he listens to this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that is it for this episode of Sparks Where. This week we talked about the intersection of food and science with J. Kenji Lopez-Alt's the Food Lab. And again, one more time, the second part of this episode, Anna will talk with J. Kenji Lopez-Alt. Uh, you can read J. Kenji Lopez-Alt's work at SeriousEats.com. And so keep an ear out for our interview and keep an eye out for any future recipes at Serious Eats. 
Thanks to our producers, Blake Terrell and Jody Avergan. Tony Chow and Jorge Estrada are in the control room. And as you know, we'll be doing this podcast every month in the What's the Point feed. So subscribe to the What's the Point feed now so you don't miss an episode. And help spread the word. Let us know what you think. Leave a review in the iTunes store or email us at podcast at 538.com with any comments or suggestions for the whole science team at 538. I'm Chadwick Matlin. Thanks for listening.